Well, just before the break, we were speaking with the Parliamentary Budget Officer, Yves Giroux, about his report that uh, he found, his office found, after crunching some numbers, that the federal government now stands to lose money from its investment in the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Their analysis shows the net present value of the pipeline is negative $600 million, leaving it worth about $1.2 billion less than the PBO's last estimate back in December 2020. That being said, uh, there are other reports that say it is still commercially viable. Canada's oil industry says the war in Ukraine has made the infrastructure project more important than ever. Keep in mind, it is the one, the existing pipeline that is being twinned is the one way to get Alberta oil to port. Uh, and while environmental groups say it's time for Ottawa to stop throwing good money after bad, the parliamentary budget officer also estimates that scrapping the project would cost a fortune. So joining me now to clear this all up is Richard Mason. He's an executive fellow with the University of Calgary's School of Public Policy. Thanks for your time. Good to be here, Ben. So what did we learn from this other than, you know, we knew there were delays, we knew the construction costs had gone up, uh, but uh, were you surprised by what, what the PBO found? Uh, not surprised. I mean, when we knew the cost had increased so much, you know that that's not adding any value. It's just going to reduce overall returns. And so now somebody's actually spent the time to do the math to say, based on a set of assumptions, it looks like there could be a ne- negative net present value, which not everybody will understand, but it essentially is a way to try and predict that we're not going to make as much money as we expected. What he, you know, I didn't hear that interview that you, you had, but what essentially the math says is we're going to earn less than 7.8%, um, which is why the number is $600 million in the negative. Right. And I guess part of the issue here was that the government had said that they would eventually reinvest the profits in other things, right? So no profits, no investment in other things. I guess it leaves them a bit exposed politically, at least. What does it mean for the project? Well, I think the project is still very viable and more important than ever. And I think just what you said, you know, with Canada has the third largest reserves in the world. We have a very sophisticated industry, a very sophisticated regulatory framework, you know, ESG, we're often ranked number one in the world. And so when we think about trying to get off Russian oil since they invaded Ukraine, what we're going to have to do is find ways to get more oil to market in order to displace that Russian oil. That's not going to increase greenhouse gases in the world. It's just going to make the sources of oil more reliable. And so you know, building pipelines takes a very long time. Trans Mountain expansion is probably 10 years since it, it first started. So we're lucky that it's near finished. Um, and it's going to be very difficult to see another pipeline come after it. So we're going to have to be very creative in trying to make sure that we can supply the world with the oil that it needs. How will, how will this impact? I mean, we've heard, um, listeners may know, the government, of course, plans to, quote unquote, divest itself of Trans Mountain, uh, of its purchase, of its investment once it can. Uh, what kind of impact may this have on, or at least the overruns and, and the value of it now have on that, on those plans for Ottawa? So, so net present values are, are important to understand. So if you take what the parliamentary budget officer said, if it had a net present value of zero, that means using his 7.8% interest rate, it would be break even. So that means you would expect to earn 7.8% re- return over the future of the project. Okay. So right. it's a negative NPV. So maybe the actual return he would have calculated would have been about 6%. Let's just say that. So that means somebody could buy that project and earn a 6% return going forward. And that's what the Indigenous um, groups are looking to do, is to find a way to purchase that project 
so that they get a return. Then what they need to do is go out and, and raise their money to purchase the project, um, you know, cost effectively. So, you know, maybe they have to pay four or 5% to borrow the money to allow them to earn 6%. That's what they're hoping for. So they have a reliable source of income for 20 plus years. This is what's going to have to be worked out now. It, it's harder to do if the project has a big cost overrun and those returns going forward are skinnier than everybody intended, but it's still possible. You mentioned um, in, a, in reaction to this that one of the issues here is that the government can't really, Ottawa can't really turn around and try to get um, the oil shippers uh, or oil companies to shoulder some of these, these cost overruns because of existing contracts. How does that work? So the original contract was Kinder Morgan um, worked with the shippers and, and they, you know, based on how pipelines get built, put in place a cost sharing mechanism. And they said, we, um, you know, here's a cost estimate. We'll build it for this. If there are overruns, about 25% of the overruns will flow through to the shippers and about 75% of that cost overrun risk will stay with us as Kinder Morgan. Eventually, Kinder Morgan looked at the project as being so risky that they couldn't carry on. They weren't going to finish it. And the federal government had to buy it, step in, because it's such a strategic piece of infrastructure. And so that contract is already in place. You know, it's been approved by a bunch of shippers. And you can't just go breaking contracts. And so the federal government's going to have to live with that contract because that's the deal that was originally made. Um, So the shippers are bearing a portion of the cost overruns. But a lot of it goes to the federal government. And, of course, the federal government was the entity that managed that construction that saw the cost go up by 70 percent in the last since the last estimate. Were you were you uh, given confidence at all by the reaction from the federal government to this report that it basically said, you know, this is important. We're going to continue. We stand by it. Um, you know, this, uh, nothing to see here, essentially, other than thanks, thanks for all your hard work. We now, now we have a better idea of what's happening uh, financially. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me because I think everybody in, in the industry and in the government recognizes how important this piece of infrastructure is. Canada, as I said, has, has a reliable supply of oil to give to the world. Um, we need to get it there. This piece of pipe is, is strategic for that. And it makes it more likely that we're going to get fair prices for the oil. We won't be landlocked and, and take big discounts. And if you discount some of the barrels, you end up discounting all the barrels. And, and it really means lower taxes and, and royalties for governments. And so this is in government's interest to see this pipeline get completed because not only do they get the, the taxes and the jobs and all the things that go with construction, they also get more likely higher taxes and royalties over the coming 20 years as that oil is produced and we get better prices. And more importantly than that, we're able to say we can help help the world meet its energy needs when we're trying to get off Russian oil. Yeah, the parliamentary budget officer mentioned that that was not factored in the, the cost that Canada pays or the, the the amount that it doesn't get for uh, for oil was not factored into his calculation. So that was something that he wanted to point out as well. Just in general, and this is a bit of a sideline, but just in general, how do you feel the federal government has coped so far since the invasion of Ukraine with trying to meet the growing demand or the growing concerns over energy security and many of its promises on the environmental front? Well, you know, unfortunately, the government isn't really in control of much that in the short term that can be done. So the companies are incented right now at $100 oil and $8 gas to produce as much as they can. 
and and they are doing that. But the problem is the infrastructure to get our oil to market has been our big bottleneck. And, you know, the, the regulatory structure that we have is not streamlined. You know, that's part of the challenge is if you think about Trans Mountain, you know, we had to go back a second time um, for consultation because uh, the, the court said they didn't get it right. The federal government didn't get it right. So we need a, a better, more certain streamlined process to allow infrastructure to get built in a timely way, cost effectively. That's important. And it, it applies not just to pipelines, but it also applies to transmission lines. If you think about wind and solar, um, they need you know transmission lines to move from wherever the best wind or, or, or sun is to the markets. And those things are all typically tied up in a lot of consultation and a lot of delays that really slow things down. So if we're going to meet our energy challenges, then the federal government's going to have to continue to work to streamline that, that process. Yeah, I have about a minute to go, Richard. I, I guess just in terms of trying to balance what is a demand now for more attention to be paid to global energy security with a lot of commitments that this Liberal government has already made on the environmental front, do you feel like they're recalibrating a bit or do you feel like there's a, a long way to go there? Well, I think I think it is being recalibrated. You know, security of supply wasn't really a conversation before um, the Russian invasion, and I think Europe really learned a lesson, and and other countries are watching and, and learning from that as well. So I think the the oil and gas industry, for example, is very aligned towards um, reducing the carbon footprint and getting to net zero by 2050. All the companies are there, all their shareholders are there, but the question is, how do we do that in a way that doesn't leave us short of energy so we end up with sky high prices for gasoline or for for natural gas this coming winter so so we've got to have a a managed transition where we we do it in a way that manages the risk to keep energy available as we move to a lower carbon footprint and it's it's a super complicated thing but i see a lot of alignment between federal provincial governments and industry richard mason thank you so much for your time tonight yeah it's good to be here anytime then